Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. Hope you've all had a wonderful week. Uh, know that we are praying for you. Um, we're here for you if there's anything uh, that you need. And if you're still at home, we miss you so much. Uh, and yet we want you to, to be reminded that your safety is very important to us. And the fact that you feel safe is very important to us. We're still in phase one. Uh, and so uh, that means that we're encouraging those who are here to wear masks. We do have uh, an allowance for 50% capacity here. But we want to make sure that you know that if you have compromised immunities or loved ones with compromised immunities and you feel safer staying home at this phase, it is okay we love you. We want to hear from you. We want you um, to call us anytime and to, uh, to let us encourage you during this season. If you would, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Uh, this is our second sermon in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, which means it's our next to last sermon in this series before we start First Thessalonians in June. I'm going to read in verses 15 through 19, although a sermon will be primarily through 15 uh, through 17 in a sermon entitled, Do You Love Me? Probably a familiar passage you're used to, so uh, why don't you read this together with me, John 21, 15 through 19. The precious and errant word of God says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we thank you uh, for this day. This is the day you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, help us now to understand your word. Help us to apply this word to our hearts. Um, Lord, help us to grow in our holiness and grow in our desire um, for you and Lord help us Father to stop sinning against you and to rest in your love for us. Lord we pray that uh, your love would propel us to ministry that you would help us Father along the way. We thank you for your restoration and reconciliation. We pray these all in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come to this text, we, something that stands out is that Peter is a great example of the fact that so long as we live on this side of glory, there is plenty of work for God to do to make us the people he would have us to be. Uh, this is good news for those of us who find the sanctification process being a slow work. Uh, the comforting truth is that the one who began a good work in Peter is also the one who began a good work in each of us. And, and we see that in this account. Peter is a work in progress. He, he was. And, and friends, if you belong to Jesus, you are a work in progress as well. But if God has started the work of sanctification in you, then he has promised he will continue to work in you. 
He will never give up. He will never grow weary. He will never say to us, that's it, I'm done, I give up. We might be willing to say that about ourselves. Sometimes I know that I want to give up on myself because I see my own wretchedness, but God will never do that. No matter how many times you and I blow it in our walks, if we truly belong to Jesus, we can be confident that he will complete his good work in us. Let's look at how the Lord dealt with Peter in this text. As we know, Peter was called by the Lord to be a disciple. Uh, He was called by Jesus to follow him, and Peter did just that. He followed Jesus. He was saved by Jesus. He walked with Jesus, but there were times where he fell in his walk, where he was failing to bring honor and glory to his king, Jesus. And one of the ways he brought great shame upon himself was when he denied knowing Jesus three times in one night. Uh, This particular sin that Peter committed uh, was, was not a private sin that he had only committed in his heart and his mind. No, this was a public sin. He publicly denied the Lord. And because that was the case, his repentance and his restoration had to be public. That's why Jesus wants to meet with him now in front of all the rest. Now, really, we might appreciate why Jesus would do this. When you think about how things might have gone for Peter as an apostle if this public restoration hadn't occurred. What sort of credibility would Peter have among the people? How would Peter not have been disqualified from public ministry? And so in order to sustain Peter and his ministry, Jesus set out to publicly restore Peter so he might serve the kingdom without a great shadow of his sin hanging over him. Let me just say, friends, that it's an important practice that when you and I sin publicly, we do well to repent publicly. It's true for all of us, but I think it's especially important for those of us in leadership, Uh, leadership in the home. Uh, Parents, I would encourage you, when you openly sin in front of your families, confess that sin, repent of that sin before your family. The same is true in those positions of leadership, whether it be in the, the church or in the state. By the way, I want to mention there are some sins that we might commit that might disqualify us from certain positions. Just because we confess our sins, we repent it, repent of it, we find forgiveness of our sins, doesn't mean we'll automatically be restored to our positions of leadership. Some sins are so heinous and so harmful that the only thing for a man to do is step aside, allowing another to take his office. That said, this wasn't the case in Peter's life. We were shown here a picture of full restoration, which brings great joy and hope to all of us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there can be no doubt that from the setting of this conversation, it was purposely chosen by Jesus to happen in this way to bring to Peter's mind, as well as ours, the night where he denied his Lord. The the similarities, if you read this account, they are striking with that night of the denial of Jesus. We have reference here to a charcoal fire. That's not a common phrase or setting in the scriptures, by the way. It, it reminds us of another time there was a charcoal fire, and that was the night Peter had denied knowing his Lord. He was at a charcoal fire keeping warm. 
And not only that, but in this account, we have Peter being asked the same question three times. And just as he was asked three times whether he knew the Lord Jesus or not, we find Peter giving the same answer each time, just like he did on that terrible night. But another striking similarity between those occasions is found in the fact that the night before Peter had sinned against the Lord, he boasted these words in the company of Jesus and in the company of the other disciples. In Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter says, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And in this context, this is where we find Jesus asking Peter these three questions. He starts with the first one. And, and think about what I just said about Peter's boast. Listen to what Jesus asked him right off the bat in front of everyone. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What a poignant way of reminding him what he said earlier in front of these. And John doesn't tell us how Peter might have felt being asked this question, but I can't help but to think that Peter's heart must have been racing. I can't help but think that his eyes were watering up just a bit, if not tearing completely. It must have hurt his heart to hear this question even come from the lips of his Savior. Wouldn't it trouble you to have someone you love ask you this question? Husbands, wives, just think about that for a moment. If your spouse has to ask you, do you love me? That probably means you have not been showing love in the ways that you were supposed to. You don't ever want to hear your spouse ask, do you love me? That should be a given. There should be no question about that. But if and when the question is asked, it makes you wonder, uh-oh, <laughs> What have I done to indicate that I'm not being loving toward my spouse? Well, the same thing must have overcome Peter. Uh, one other thing we notice even in this question is that Jesus has referred to Peter here by his full name. Jesus doesn't call him Peter. Petra, the rock, the one that made that great confession of faith. No, instead he calls him by the name he had before his confession of faith. Why do you think that Jesus used Peter's whole name here? Could it be that in his denials, Peter was living like his old self? Jesus wants to remind him, that's the behavior of the old man. That's not who you are. That's not who I called you to be. That's the old man. When Jesus called him Simon instead of Peter, it, once again, that must have stung quite a bit. And, and friends, it really must have been our Savior's intention for it to sting. It, it should have stuck. It should have pricked his heart. In fact, there can be no doubt that this whole line of questioning was calculated on our Savior's part in order to sober Peter up, to get him thinking clearly about the whole situation, even to cause his heart to be troubled over what he had done. Folks, if you don't know this yet, let me tell you, sin hurts Sin hurts. It always hurts somebody. It hurts us and it hurts others when we do it against others. And above all, it hurts the Lord. It brings disgrace to our Lord's name. It even gives uh, the enemy a reason to blaspheme against the Lord and his church. Well, when you and I, when we're confronted in our sin, it, let's be honest, it's never pleasant. And guys, it's, it's not supposed to be. <laughs> 
Like when we discipline a child and you spank a child when they've done wrong, it's supposed to sting. It's supposed to leave a lasting impression so they don't do it again. Jesus is stinging Peter here. He wants him to remember this, to not do it again. It's good for us to be troubled over our sin because it reminds us of our great need for our Savior. So Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Again, remember the backdrop we provided in Matthew chapter 26 where Peter made this boastful remark in front of all the others about how some of them might stumble, but he never would. Pride certainly does come before the, before the fall, as the scriptures say, doesn't it? It happened in the life of Peter, and Jesus now asked him in the presence of all of these about how much more faithful he is. Whether or not now he could say he loves Jesus more than them. Is he going to say something? Is he going to say about still how much more faithful he is than the rest of these? How is he going to answer this question that's been placed in front of him? Again, it must have been extremely unpleasant for Peter here. He remembered what he had said before the others, and the others certainly probably remembered it as well. See, our Lord is giving Peter a lesson in humility here. But please know this. Uh, These lessons in humility, they're not given to us by Jesus in order to publicly ridicule us. It's not God's intention to shame us when this happens. He has much better motivations than those. It's Christ's love for Peter. It's his care for Peter's public ministry. That's what's driving this whole conversation. It's not so Jesus can poke fun at Peter and laugh at him for being such a doofus in all of this. The point of this is to show Peter the error of his ways and give him an opportunity before the rest of the crowd so that all would see the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and that all would see the restorative nature of his work so that the others can be encouraged by this also. You know why? Because each one of them are going to blow it as well. It's just a matter of time. And when they do, hopefully they will know that God is gracious and he is with them. There's forgiveness. If Peter is going to serve Jesus as an under-shepherd, he has to learn how to practice humility. There is no place for pride in any of us, but especially in the life of one set apart to publicly proclaim the message of our Savior. Whenever our Lord is gracious enough to confront us with our own sins, uh, with these types of questions, friends, let's just be quick to repent. To notice the call to repentance and to ask for forgiveness that we might see the fruit of the Spirit in these ministries. Well, you'll notice how Peter responded to the question. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But did you catch what Peter left off the answer? All of a sudden, he's not interested anymore of comparing himself to those around him. He doesn't answer saying, yes, Lord, you know I love you more than these. He's not going there anymore. Something tells me he gets the point. So Jesus asked him the same question again. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This time, the question doesn't have any reference to the others. It's as if Jesus is saying, okay, Simon, you can no longer say that you love me more than others. So my question is now simply this. Do you love me? 
no comparisons, nothing else to consider, but whether or not you yourself love me. And let me just say, that is the probing question for each one of us listening to us, listening to this this morning. Uh, Do you love Jesus? Uh, Not comparing yourself to others, looking just inwardly in your own heart. Do you really, sincerely love Jesus? Not just doctrines, not just facts about him, but do you love him as a person? Do you love him as your Lord, as your Savior? Do you love his word? Do you love his songs? Do you love having conversations with him in prayer? Do you love and keep his commandments? Uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13 that if we have not love, we are nothing. Do you love Jesus? Our love for God is one of the first evidences that we have been born again. So the prayer, at least for my heart, concerning all of us is that we would be able to say, yes, Lord, I love you. Notice how Peter answered the question, though, the second time. Again, he makes no reference to the others. He simply appeals to Jesus at this point. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus then asked the question a third time and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then we read here that Peter is grieved when asked this question. And I think here it just finally hits him. He doesn't need a rooster to crow right now. The Holy Spirit has opened his ears to understand what Jesus was doing with him. The Lord says, uh, it says do you love me the third time? And Peter is grieved. See, the Lord always has his ways of pricking our conscience, bringing us to the full conviction of our sin. And and that's what he did here with Peter. Each time Jesus asked the question of Peter, there could be no doubt that the goal was to convict him of his sin. Sometimes we need to be asked a question more than once because it makes us think longer and harder about the answer. We do that with our kids sometimes, right? We give them an opportunity to tell us the truth. And if we don't think we're telling the truth, we just reiterate, think long and hard about what you're about to tell me. Think long and hard about your answer. Thomas Manton puts it this way, the old reformer. He says, it is some conviction to a liar to make him repeat his tale. A deceitful heart will be apt to reply that he is not worthy to live who doth not love Christ, but urge it again and again. Do I indeed love Christ? Yea, leave not till you can appeal to God himself for the sincerity of your love. Lord, thou know all things, and thou knows I love thee. At the end of the day, Peter came to the point where that was all he could do. He realized that his best answer that he was asked each time was not to appeal to himself and his own love, but to appeal to Jesus. You see, Friends, there's no point in trying to make your case before God. There's no point in saying to him, yes, I love you. Look at all my life that I do for you. Look at how much time I spend in your word and prayer. Look at how faithful I've been to attend your church and give to your ministries. Look at the ways I love my neighbor because we know it can look like you love God on the outside, sure, but on the inside you could be far from him. And this is why we do well to go before the Lord and confess the fact, Lord, you know, what more can I say? 
you know whether or not I love you. When you ask me this question, do I love you? All I can say is, Lord, you know whether or not I do. And along these lines, it would do as well to cry out like the psalmist to say, Oh Lord God, search me and know me. Only you can search the heart of man. Reveal to me if I do love you, if I do not love you. And if I don't, please give me the grace to love you. But before we leave this question, I'd like to mention something about this idea of loving our Savior. See, I think all too often, we Southern Baptist folk, we're we're quick to dismiss the emotional aspect of love for God in our lives. And I'm quite certain that the reason we have this reaction comes in part from the fact that this emotional connection to God is often abused and overemphasized in a number of Christian circles. So when we hear somebody talk about how they emotionally love God, we say, be careful, there's danger there. Been there, done that. I know about that crazy emotional driven stuff, but I think we're all too quick to dismiss it altogether because just because it is abused doesn't mean that there's no place for having an emotional love for your Savior. Listen to how J.C. Ryle puts it so nicely. He says, let us take heed that there's some feeling in our religion. Knowledge, orthodoxy, correct views, regular use of forms, a respectable moral life, all of these do not make up a true Christian. There must be some personal feelings towards Christ. Feeling alone, no doubt, it is a poor, useless thing and may be here today and gone tomorrow, but the entire absence of feeling is a very bad symptom and speaks ill for the state of man's soul. The men and women to whom Paul wrote his epistles had feelings and were not ashamed of them. There was one in heaven whom they loved, and that one was Jesus, the Son of God. Let us strive to be like them and have some real feeling in our Christianity if we hope to share their reward. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Now, as we move on, we haven't yet considered the commands that Jesus gave to Peter. After each answer that that Peter gave, Jesus provided him with a command. Jesus said, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. And here we see that it's, it's not enough to merely have a feeling of love for Jesus. There is more than the Christian faith than just an emotional feeling. We must also bear some evidence of our lives, uh, in our lives, of our love towards him. It's not enough to say that we love Jesus. We do well to show that we love him by living in obedience to him. We love him by doing what he commands. We love him by worshiping him. We love him by loving our neighbor And in this particular account, we see that that Peter's love would entail his service and his care for others within the church. We also see here with Peter's restoration that our Lord is merciful and long-suffering. We are shown that with the Lord, if you belong to him, your failure is never final. You and I can blow it in some major ways and think, That the Lord is going to lay us aside and say, that's it. You had your chance. You blew it. Yet we see here there is forgiveness and restoration with the Lord. Jesus publicly declares the role that Peter would play in the church. He will be a pastor. He will be one who would feed the sheep and tend to their needs. 
you'll notice that just like Jesus, the role of the pastor is to be others-centered. It's to be taken up with caring for others. As he described in this text by Jesus, the role of the pastor is described in terms of practical functions rather than status or office. Did you notice that? He doesn't talk about, Peter, you are going to be the pastor. You are going to be the teaching elder. These are all titles that we're just going to bestow upon you. No, at this point, Jesus is describing his position by way of the responsibilities he will have within the church. In other words, being a pastor is more a matter of what the pastor is supposed to do than it is of having some particular title. A pastor church family should be known and recognized by what he does for the sheep, not having to depend upon the title on his business card to prove it. You know I love preaching about pastors because I get to preach to myself. So no, these are things that I don't do perfectly and I'm trusting the Lord to help me in this. So this part can be just for me if you're not in the office of pastor. Uh, Gordon Ketty notes this. He says, there are many men who hold the office of minister and have paper to prove it, but their actual work is far removed from feeding or tending God's flock. We, we must know this. In church culture, one of the primary roles of the pastor is feeding the sheep God has given under their care. And this may sound simple enough, but how often do we see this responsibility neglected? I can't tell you how many people who come to our church and they are encouraged simply by the fact that we read the scriptures out loud in the church service. That is, I hate to say it, it's a rare thing in our day. What a sad testimony, right? What we do here should not be something rare. This should be the common thing going on from church to church. God's word should be central in any worship service. It should be the main thing that we come here for. But that is not the case all too often. I, I'm fairly sure that there is a famine in the land today, a famine of the preached word. Sadly, there are many malnourished sheep out there looking for a fold where they might be fed a healthy diet of God's word. And so we need to pray that the Lord would convict these men, even as he convicted Peter, so they might recognize their responsibility to feed God's sheep with his word. Let me just encourage you to be in prayer for the ministry here in our congregation, because just like any other man, any pastor or elder can fall and falter and need correction. So I'm, I'm encouraged by the way you reach out to us and the way that you pray for us. Please keep it up so that we would be faithful in overseeing this flock, that Jesus would be glorified in the ministry that he's given to us. But we know not only are sheep to be fed, they're also to be tended. There's an authority that comes with the responsibility that God gives to his elders, to his pastors. Otherwise, how could we do our work? If you think about it, if there's no authority tied to the position, then really, pastors couldn't do much, could they? Pastors and elders need to tend to the flock. Now listen, they are no replacements of the good shepherd. It is not as though pastors or elders can ever replace our chief shepherd, but they are his under-shepherds. They've been given authority and responsibility from the good shepherd to care for his sheep. 
And as much as they, uh, the elders have responsibility in all of this, as much as the pastors have a responsibility in all of that, so do the sheep. If you belong to Jesus, let me just encourage you that you ought to do whatever you can to join yourself to a local congregation and voluntarily place yourself under the oversight of overseers. This is one of the practical ways that Jesus will care for you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. There's a lot of responsibility that Jesus places both on the under shepherds and the sheep in that verse, Hebrews 13, 17. Not only that, but 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is a very telling verse about this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Peter at this point (laughs) was fully restored to serve the Lord. But I want you to remember that he couldn't be restored until he first expressed publicly his faith and repentance. And the same is true with us. Faith and repentance come before forgiveness and reconciliation. That's true whether we're talking about our relationship with the Lord or with one another. Once Peter had been reconciled, it was time for him to take up the message of reconciliation and share it with others. That's the purpose of public ministry. It's to share the message of reconciliation and that it's possible with God by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we conclude this morning, it's important for us to know that the work that Peter and the others were being commissioned to do, it was nothing less than an extension of the work that Jesus was already doing. And and so it is the same today as well. All ministry is ultimately Christ ministry. We are really just instruments in his hands to accomplish his purposes. My prayer in all of this is that you would heed these words. And if you're here this morning and and you know that you've sinned against God in, in some public setting or even some private setting, that you would know that the Lord deals with us in much the same way he dealt with Peter, that you would come to him, repent of your sins, and you'd be restored We all need to do this. We've all experienced this. We need to do this daily. Repentance is a wonderful gift that the Lord gives us. Is he convicting you of sin today? Is he convicting your heart of how you've blown it in some major way? His his question to you is the same. Do you love me? And if you love the Lord Jesus, he will restore you. And you must repent and trust him. Let's pray together. Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example you have uh, given us in restoring the apostle Peter to your service. Thank you, Lord, that in this account we see um, things like your loving kindness and we see things like, uh, Lord, your mercy, the forgiveness that's found with you. And Lord, as we reflect upon our lives and we walk away, Lord, from this place today, we do ask and pray that you would help us to consider this one important question. 
the question you asked Peter three times. Lord, help us to be able to answer in the affirmative, yes, we do love you. Father, we know that none of us loves you perfectly. None of us loves you as we ought to love you. But if we're in Christ, every one of us should ought to love you more and to be more faithful in our love to you and our service to you as well. Grant us the grace that we might show our gratitude in the ways in which we live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. I love you so much. I hope to hear from you sometime this week. God bless. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.